Love Talk Radio. You're listening to Dr. E.J. McKenzie on Blog Talk Radio. Greetings, this is your host, Dr. E.J. McKenzie with the Master Key, this Tuesday evening. We pray that this day has found you well. We know it has because we took authority over the day this morning in our last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning at 5.30 a.m. prayer. We took authority over the day, took dominion over the day, subdued the day, and brought the day's subject to its rightful owner, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So therefore... Jesus Lord of the day, and so therefore he was Lord over your life. In any circumstance or situation that you was uh, encountered, he allowed you to encounter it for you to experience victory. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to a conclusion of uh, a quarter. It's fascinating. It's, uh, it seemed like yesterday we was in... Uh, the month of October, October the 7th, 2012. Never forget it. That was the day that God unlocked the heavens over our life. That was the day that God uh, elevated us to a place of restoration. And uh, time has passed, so uh, it's gone by so fast. That was October, November, December, January, February, March. Five months. This is the fifth month, the month of grace from the time that the Lord... Uh, released, spoke, elevated us uh, to the place that he had ordained, appointed, and known us to be. I personally believe that God uh, many times, uh, we need to understand how he think, how you operate, how he flow. Um, that's why God has so graciously uh, given us a word that was inspired by the Holy Spirit as written by men. Men was uh, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And uh, but we see the mind. When we read the Bible, don't look at it. Read it from uh, from a perspective of a story. Uh, always read it to try to get his mind. Read it to see how he think about this situation, that circumstances, why he did this and why he did that, why he was merciful here, why he was gracious here, why he didn't destroy here, but he destroyed over here. Try to get his mind. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit, to begin to unveil that and unlock that. You can never get the mind of God with an intellectual mentality. That, that'll that never happen. You can gain intellectual knowledge from the Word, but you can never get revelation knowledge from the Word. When I say revelation knowledge, I'm talking about the unlocking of the Word. Uh, you can look at the Word, um, what Word? You can look at uh and in the word in the Bible, heart. Um, you look at a word, uh, soul. Look at the word spirit, and it have many different connotations, uh, spiritual connotations behind it. But w- if we are more intellectually inclined, we will read that and we will get a natural interpretation. So the word of God uh, is designed, uh, is hidden. Matter of fact, uh, uh, um, it only can be unlocked by the Spirit of God who locks it. And so we want to get to know his heart and his mind, and you don't want to get to know his heart and his mind for you and I to become boastful 
and brag that we know uh, the scripture uh, God gives me, revelation, knowledge, knowledge, that stuff being absolutely that we try to impress. We can't impress God, can't impress Jesus, can't impress the Holy Spirit, so what good is it to impress men? Uh, what can men do? Men cannot give you life. Uh, men cannot give you death. Men cannot bless you. Men cannot elevate you. Men cannot promote you. Men cannot get, uh, uh, um, uh, cause divine health to flow in you. It's only the Lord. So as we really come get uh, come to the place in our life with the Lord that we we may, uh, we settled and we are resolute in our heart and our mind that you live for Christ and Christ alone. And then we'll begin to experience some things like we have never seen before. Now, let's get into the heart and the mind of the Father. Uh, today, this is the last program of the week. No, uh, to Saturday. Uh, until Saturday. Uh, noon, noon time. And uh, uh, I share some things on uh, uh, this morning, some episodes from, uh, uh, not so much episodes, episodes, but a a portion of scripture that uh, we shared on uh, Sunday morning, uh, from Sunday morning's message. And I want to uh, share something to help us to kind of understand uh, um, some things about God, about the Word of God, and why we struggle with faith. Why do we struggle with believing God? Why do we struggle with uh, uh, trusting Him? Uh, and this has been a a thing really from the from the beginning up to now, and uh, and we go on and we go on and we go on and go on and go on and 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 I can clearly see now and understand in a greater dimension uh, things I've been sharing with people for a while now uh, in my household and uh, leaders, uh, my spiritual sons and daughters, uh, other uh, uh, men and women of God, the prayer lines, uh, share some things with them from the perspective why. Uh, is there such a great struggle? Is it God's will for you to struggle? Is it God's will for me to struggle? Is it God's will for me to walk by faith and not by sight? Well, how if it's if He put a demand upon us to do it, why do we struggle in doing it? Why do we struggle in walking by faith and not by sight? Why do we struggle in trusting the living God? Why do we worry? Why we do do we experience anxiety and stress? Uh, and we're born again, we say, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we say we're filled with the Word of God. And and we go on and we keep on uh, doing our spiritual exercises just one day. One day uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to break through. One day I'm going to experience something different. And you never experience anything different because we don't understand what is the thing that is blocking, what is the thing that is hindering. Is it, this, is it Satan? Is it demons? Uh, when I begin to look at the word of the Lord, now Satan is the, he's the mastermind behind anything that is not of God nor like God. He's the mastermind behind it. But at the same time, ladies and gentlemen, you and I play a role, the act of our will. So we want to look at some things here uh, in the word of the Lord. I believe it's going to be able to help us uh, uh, to look at some patterns according to the word of the Lord. The word of God is full of patterns. God is a God of order. God is a God of patterns. And I guarantee you, if you had the ability and had the mind or you had the capacity to record every day of your life for the last five years, 
and you go back over every day, I guarantee you, you'll begin to see certain patterns begin to emerge, excuse me, out of your life. That you will see certain particular things may take place in the month of uh, January, February, March, all the way to December. You begin to see patterns. Wow, the same thing happened in January last year, a year before last, or two years ago. You begin to see patterns. It may not happen on the same day. It may happen on the same day. So, so God is a God of order. He's a God of patterns. And so many times uh, uh, we experience some of the same type things, but yet from a different dimension or a different perspective, a different twist. And because it comes different in different packages, we're not able to discern it or recognize it. Uh, um, I personally believe that because he's a God of patterns, and I got to order. There's patterns that is in that word that, as we begin to read and and our spirit, our spiritual eyes is open, we'll begin to discover it and say, Ah, this is similar to over here in Judges. Oh, this is similar to in to what's over there in uh, Second Chronicles. Oh, oh, so we'll begin to discover some things. But only the Holy Spirit can begin to do that. Now, one of the things I personally believe has been a great enemy. Something that is designed to be a great blessing, and this is the manipulation of the enemy. He can call something to that is designed to be a blessing to become an enemy. God created everything. Uh, uh, Hebrews eleven three. By faith we understand that the worlds was framed by the word of God, so things which appear was made of the things which do not appear. So He created all things. God created the silver, the gold. God created the, the livestock. God created the chickens you like you like eating. Uh, uh, fried chicken, baked chicken. Uh, you can you can do a number on that chicken. But He created the chickens. He created the beef. He created the lamb. He created. Um, uh, all of the animals, the horses, uh, he created all vegetation, he created all uh, fruit. So is that a good thing? Of course it is a good thing. Food is a good thing. But the very thing that's created to be good can end up becoming an enemy. Isn't it amazing? Satan will always try to manipulate what is good and make it out of an enemy. Sleep is good. You work six days, uh, God works six days, rest of the seven day. Sleep is good, rest is good. Satan ought to take what is good and make what's good out of evil. When you rest too much, you become lazy and slow for Proverbs talks about a lazy man and a slow for man. So here's something beautiful, something good that God created for you and I to enjoy. But what makes it wrong is when you and I begin to indulge and we begin to value it more than God who created it. And what God would do from time to time, ladies and gentlemen, he will call you. And I was going to use going to use the word command, but that's a kind of strong word. He will call you to pull aside from that which is good, so you can begin to pursue or draw close to that which is best, which is great, which is sovereign, God Himself. So, but if I struggle with pulling from that which He created that was good, and and I struggle coming before him who is sovereign, then what happens is the very thing that he created good for me then will become God to me. See, anything that you and I bow down and worship becomes God. So so anything that has a greater level of affection, a pull on our hearts, becomes God. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. 
the word of God is good, isn't it? But can the word of God that is designed to be good end up becoming bad? I was going to say evil. He said, how in the world could the word of God, you just said earlier, that the word of God was written under the inspiration of the spirit of God. Men was moved by the spirit of God as they wrote the word of God. Paul even said in Romans that the word of God is holy. He said the word, he said the law. It's holy and it is good. But how in the world something that is holy and good end up becoming negative, evil? Well, here it is again. Just take the law, then we go back to the word. Take the law. The law is the word that Paul talks about in the book of Romans, which is good. He said the law is holy. The law is good. But that very law that is holy and good, it deceived me. It slew me because the law was designed to make me see that I am sinful. So here is something that is holy, something that is good, end up becoming an enemy to me because it makes me see just how undone I am. So the law is really not beneficial to us. That is why uh, the love of God comes in. Where there is love, there is no law. So God has transitioned us from an old covenant under the law. Let me put it this way, listen. Not us, because you and I was never under the law. The Jews was under the law. So uh, 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 the Jewish nation from up under the law and now present grace to them, a love to them. He says, uh, um, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. So therefore, he said, on, uh, these two, on these two hangs all of the law. So love. So here's something that's designed to be good end up becoming negative, becoming evil. Now, let's go to the Word of God. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. Can the Word be evil? Well, Paul said the letter killeth, but the Spirit give life. The letter killeth? I thought you said the Word of God was written as men was moved by the Spirit of God. So this word is inspired. Yes, it is inspired. Is it holy? Yeah, it's holy. But how can it be evil? How could it kill when the word of God, when there's an absence of the Holy Spirit from the word of God? And the very thing that is designed to bring life, it brings death. The spirit of God is the spirit of life. So the word of God is no good to you, nor good is no good to me if the word of God uh, it is not in breathed, inspired, or stimulated, or activated by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. The letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. He said the kingdom of God does not come in word, but it comes in power. And the reason I'm breaking this out because what happened, ladies and gentlemen, the very the very church, the Corinthian church, uh, that was very versed in the word of God, the very knowledgeable in the word of God, uh, they rose up and came against Paul, who established them. And they were sizing themselves up with Paul based on the knowledge that they had. But Paul called them babes. They had this great knowledge, but he called them babes. 
How can you have great knowledge and be called a babe? Then your knowledge has to be intellectual. It cannot be spiritual. Then you wouldn't be a babe. So there is an intellectual knowledge and a spiritual knowledge. You mean to tell me that the Bible can be intellectual? Yes, when the absence of the Holy Spirit. And now, the reason I'm bringing this out now, you, you, you stick with me if you will, because here's something designed to be good can end up becoming evil to me. How could the word become evil? That when I value it more than the author of it, if I value it but don't allow it to lead me to the author, then the word is no good to me, and it's no good for me. It's only stimulate my mentality. It stimulates my intellect. And Paul goes on to say, uh, uh, make a statement uh, to the Corinthian church. He says, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes you prideful. Well, pride is the enemy of God, isn't it? Uh-huh. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven, right? Yes. But do you see the manipulation? Satan don't care if you and I know the scripture. Long as we don't know the author of the scripture, yeah, well, I, I, I'm not comprehending this preacher. I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not really grasping what you're saying. I like to use an illustration like this: If I was in the military, and and my wife, my children was home, and I've been away for a year or two, and I'm sending letters back to them. Now, is those letters me? I just heard somebody say, no, yes, they are me, because those are my words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with EJ, and the Word was EJ. My words is EJ. Your words are you. So I am expressing myself to my family. I'm sending letters back. Those letters represent me. Those letters reveal the heart and the mind of EJ to his family. The Bible does the same thing. It reveals who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is. Now, when I come home from the military, my wife, my children... If I wrote a letter to all of my girls, my letter wrote a letter to my wife, all of them holding on to those letters, they're reading those letters almost every other day, and, and what they're doing, that's keeping them in remembrance of me. It's doing what? Keeping them in remembrance of me. They're reading them because they're speaking to them. Words that it was spoken from my heart to their heart, from me to them, articulating to them. My love for them, how I miss them. I may tell them something about what's going on over here, wherever I'm located, where I'm stationed at. They're holding on to that. Then one day I come home. I come home, walk in the house, and they don't even greet me. They have the letters in their purse, pocket. They take it out. They see me, but they hug the letters. They embrace the letters. And they start talking to the letters. But I'm right there. 
They're talking to the letters. Is there a need for the letters? Once I'm here. No, there's not need, no need for the letters. The letters is a shadow. I'm the reality. The letters is a representation. I am the reality. What has happened in the body of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, we have fallen more in love with the letter and have not been able to discover and find the reality. Christ is the reality of the substance of the letter. Ill from the letter does not lead me to an encounter with the reality, with the substance, which is Christ. Then what happened, the letter makes me religious. And the next thing you know, I start breaking the letters down. I start looking up the Hebrew words and, and the Greek words. What do the Hebrew word for love mean? What do the Greek word for uh, I miss you mean? So I start getting into the letter, and I start falling in love with the letter, studying the letters in the letter, and the only thing it does, it increases my intellect, but it does not lead me to the substance. It does not lead me to the reality. Christ is the reality. Christ is the substance. So what has happened is uh, we pride ourselves uh, with the knowledge of the word. We love the word. But the word that we love, uh, if it does not lead us to the reality, the word remains a shadow. A shadow of things to come, but not the very image of the thing. When you have... Uh, the substance of the reality, do you still need the letter? No. Think about it. The first century church had a greater relationship and intimacy with the Lord Jesus than the majority of people in our day. They didn't have the letter. We have the letter. They didn't have Internet. We have Internet. They didn't have dictionaries. We have dictionaries. They didn't have encyclopedias. We have encyclopedias. We have more uh, 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 knowledge available to us probably than from the beginning, from the beginning of time up to now, than any civilized, uh, civilization that ever existed. That's what we have available to us now. But we still in liking knowing Him. So that has become a problem. And Satan don't mind if you and I know scripture. He don't mind if you and I preach. He don't mind you and I teach. He don't care about that. As long as what you and I are studying, what you and I are preaching or teaching, as long as it does not lead you and I into an encounter with the reality of Christ. He don't care. Because he knows the scripture cannot transform you. He knows Christ can transform you. Christ can transform you when you taste him, handle him, and witness him. Transformation is experience. I can meditate on the word and think about even when you're meditating on the word, doesn't the meditation should cause me to be pondering about him? 
or am I pondering about the meaning? I'm pondering, uh, meditating on the Greek, meditating on the Hebrew, and not meditating on him. That's like my wife and my daughters have a letter, and they and they they meditating on every word. They they got their dictionary out, and when I sent them a letter, they're looking up every word that I write, and they missed the whole point. They're more concerned about the meaning of the words than me. They have lost the fact that they have a real daddy, a real husband, but they're falling more in love with the letter than the reality. The reality is home, and they go to breakfast with the letter. They go to dinner with the letter. I'm home. They're communing with the letter. They're talking to one another about the letter. And I'm, I'm present, ignoring me. Isn't that what Christians do? They like talking about the letter and ignoring the reality that is present. Christ, who will never leave us nor forsake us. Christ, who is in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's so lonely because we, we are falling more in love with the letter. Because we have not allowed the letter to lead us to the reality. That's what Jesus was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees about. He said, for you do search the scripture, for in them you think that you find eternal life. He said, what you're reading, they testify about me. They testify about me. So the letters that I send my family, they're testifying about me. And here you reading about me, can't even discern that I am he who you're reading about, and you're trying to kill me. Because they was more in love with the letter than they was with the reality. And you know the sad thing about it? They had this letter. This is the scribes and the Pharisees. They had, the, they, they had access to the scrolls. The common people didn't. So here they're reading the scrolls every day, but here is the reality of the scroll standing in their midst, doing signs, wonders, and miracles, and now they are jealous over the reality that they've been reading about from the time they became a scribe, the time they came, became a, a Pharisee. They are trying to kill the very one because they are falling more in love with the letter than the reality that is in their midst. And the sad thing about it, they can't even discern that this is the reality. We've been reading about, the prophets have spoken about, here is the reality, but we love the letter. You know why we love the letter more than the reality? The people don't have access to the letter. We do. And the people praise us and exalt us and, and magnify us because of our knowledge of the letter. And we love those praises, and we want them to continue to praise us. And now here's the reality come on the scene. And the, and the people have access to the reality. You have access to the scroll as well as the reality, but you chose the, the, the scrolls and the letter over the reality, because the reality is drawing attention away from you. Are you getting this, ladies and gentlemen? So what are you saying, preacher? Well, what God's goal has always been, God's goal has always been that the letter that you read, the letter that you hear ministered to you, on Sunday, your midweek services, or Sunday nights, whatever, whenever you have second service or third service, when the people, uh, 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 when the preacher ministers the letter to you, when he ministers the word of God to you, 
God expects for that word to become flesh, to become alive. The letter killeth, but it is the spirit that gives life. Well, how does, how does he do that? How does the word of the letter become life, becomes flesh? Well, the Bible says um, in John chapter 1 that Jesus was the word. He dwelt among them. Well, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among them. The word of God became flesh. 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 Is Jesus our corporate head? Yes. We are the body of Christ? Yes. So whatever the head has become, we must become? Yes. So the head was the word that became flesh? Yes. We are the body? Yes. Do the body supposed to be the word and become flesh? Yes. Really? Yes. Well, how did the word become flesh? Good question. Let's look at some things, some principles in the word of the Lord. And these are patterns that you will see throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible. Here's the pattern. God will speak a word. Let me think. Of, I'm thinking of one right now. The children of Israel wanted a king. And uh, God did not want them to have a king. But they cried out for a king. Samuel was upset with them, and God said, leave him alone. Give him a king. You know the story concerning Saul lost his father's donkeys. And they heard about a man, a man of God, that can tell you the heart of the mind of God, can tell you about your circumstances situation. They went to the man of God. And they asked the man of God, but God already told Samuel before Saul got there, God spoke to him and said, you're going to have a visitor tomorrow. Prepare a feast and have him to sit and eat with you. And I want you to anoint him king over Israel. So it happened. He anointed Saul king over Israel. I'm passing through a lot of things because I want to get to the heart of the thing. Now, this is the pattern of God. We've got to get the pattern down. So, before Saul left, Samuel gave Saul instructions from God. He gave him what? Instructions. What is instruction? The word of God. So, Samuel gave Saul the word of God. Samuel gave Saul what? The word of God. He said, go down to Gilgal, and I want you to wait for me there. In seven days, I will come down, and I will meet with you. I'm going to see, can I find this? I, I was uh, uh, just um, uh, quoting it and going over the, the story of it. And uh, I'm going to see, can I go to there? I think, if I'm not mistaken, it is First Samuel. Um, first Samuel, bear with me if you will. I wasn't going to go there, but I want to show you a principle here in the word of the Lord. I think it's first Samuel chapter 13, if I'm not mistaken, where, um, uh, he was in Gilgal. So he left the presence of the man of God, 
Samuel was considered the man of God. According to the word of God, not one of his words ever failed. So he was the man of God. He was the man that God spoke to the people uh, through. It was the word of God. It was what? The word of God. So Samuel anointed him king, told him to go down to Gilgal and wait for me seven days until I come. Now, I want to look at something here to show you this is God's pattern for the word of God to become flesh for all of us, for all of us. If you have received a prophetic word, if you receive word on Sunday morning, word on Sunday evening, and even you all uh, uh, that joins us on this radio broadcast, you are hearing the heart and the mind of God. You're receiving word. But that word must become flesh. God have established pattern in the word to show us how that word must become flesh. You must become one with the word, and the word must become one with you. Because you memorize the word and you quote scripture, that does not mean you are one with the word. And the word is one with you. If you memorize the word, where Satan's first attack is going to be? In your mind. So if the word of God is stored up in your mind, he'll attack your mind, he'll catch up the word. There's a scripture that says in uh, scripture in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, says, when this word of God is sown on a certain uh, ground, a certain ground, it says, uh, and you understand it, that not immediately Satan come and snatch that word out of your heart. When there's a lack of understanding, a lack of comprehension, a lack, lack of perception, Satan comes and steals that word. Now watch this right here. So if the word is stolen, then you haven't become one with the word, nor the word has become one with you. So let's look at the pattern of God. Uh, uh, we'll probably go to some Old Testament scripture. We have time. Look at the pattern of God, how the word of God is to become flesh. First thing he does, he speak it. First thing he does, he speak a word over you. First thing he does, he give you instructions concerning the heart and the mind of God. So he said, go down to Gilgal and wait for me seven days. All right. Now, let's get down to business here and see what the word of the Lord says to us in uh, the Bible here. This is good. This is good. But I'm going to show you how it comes flesh. Now, what was the instruction? Go down to Gilgal. For what? Wait for me. Wait for who? Me, Samuel. Until I get there. Now, who gave Saul that word? God gave Saul that word through the preacher, through the priest, through the prophet. Samuel was a prophet priest. So God spoke. That's what a man of God is. A man speaks God's word to you. A man of God, a woman of God, speaks God's word to you. Not their word, God's word to you. That's what a prophetic word it may be or a word of knowledge may be. It's the articulation of the heart of the mind of God to an individual. So he said, go to Gilgal. Wait for me seven days. Okay, he goes. Now he goes to Gilgal, and we're going to start at verse 5. Notice what the word of God says. Let me get this in the uh, Amplified Version because it really uh, kind of highlights it in a, in a greater dimension. 
Okay, I don't think I have it here. Yeah, yeah, I don't know where I think I uh, must have erased it. Something happened uh, concerning my um, my amplified version. I think I may be able to get it. And um, yep, yeah, here it is. All right. So uh, let's look at the amplified in this uh, uh, passage of scripture here. Now, verse five, because I like it gives numbers. It breaks. It really breaks it down. Now God tells him to go to Gilgal. Wait for me uh, until I get there. So verse five says, and the Philistines gathered to fight with Israel. And the Philistines gathered to fight with Israel. Where? In Gilgal. Wait a minute. Is this the place you told me to go and wait for you for seven days? Did God know that the Philistines were going to come against him? Absolutely. But why would God tell him to go to Gilgal, wait for Samuel for seven days, but before Samuel gets there, he'll, he'll allow this Philistine army to come against Israel? It says 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Mishmath, east of Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a tight situation, for their troops were hard-pressed, they hid in caves, holes, rocks, tombs, and pits, or cisterns. Wait a minute here. Hold it, preacher. Did you make a mistake? Is this a place that God told me to wait? But God, did you make a mistake? I'm in Gilgal. Samuel haven't came, but there's an army with 30,000 chariots. Israel don't have no chariots, Father. 6,000 horsemen and troops, footmen, as numerous as the sand upon the seashore and multitude that came against Israel. And look at my army. My army is defecting. My army is fleeing from me. My army, Lord God, they're, they're, they're hiding in caves and holes, rocks, tombs, and pits, cisterns. What is up with this? You gave me a word to go to Gilgal, to wait there for you, Samuel, wait for your servant Samuel for seven days. Lord, I'm here. Samuel's not here. But you allow this great army to rise up against me? Yes. God, what's, what's up with this? And not only that, where's my men? <clears throat> where's my army? Verse 7 says, So Hebrews, excuse me, some Hebrews had gone over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. They turned back. They hid in caves, rocks, holes, tombs, pits, cisterns, and the ones that did not hide, they fled and went back on the other side of Jordan to Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. The rest of the people that did not hide, and the rest of the people that did not go back, they were trembling, they were operating, they were fearful. How what kind of courage would a man of God have? He got a bunch of people that are defected, 
and the rest of the people that have not defected, they walking around trembling. Wow. Why would God put Saul in a situation like this? And Saul is there by the word of God. He's there by the instructions of God. God told him to go there. God said, wait on Samuel. So now, God allowed this army to come against him, this massive army. Massive army. And watch this right here, verse 8. Saul waited seven days according to the set time Samuel had appointed. But Samuel had not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. And the people was what? Scattering from him. And the people was what? Scattering from him. This is one of the problems with a lot of us pastors. When members begin to scatter, when people begin to leave us, we begin to feel less than nothing. You want to know why? Because your faith is in people and not in the, God, and the, and the Lord that gave you a word to start that ministry or gave you a word, if God gave you the word, gave you a word to move to that city, gave you a word to move to that town, gave you a word to do this here or do that. And the very thing that you depended on God calls to scatter. In the midst of your greatest tests, in the midst of your greatest uh, trial. Who stood with Jesus in the midst of his greatest test? When, when Jesus was in, in Gethsemane, which one of his disciples stood with him? Not one of them. Not one. One betrayed him. The others denied him. One betrayed him. The rest denied. Welcome to the club, men and women of God. Watch this right here. This is beautiful. Because God is trying to show you how he grew us up. He's trying to show you and I how you and I supposed to become the word of God or, or the system, uh, the pattern that he uses for you and I to become the word of God. Now watch it right here. He just was anointed king. Now he's over here in chapter 13 waiting on Samuel, had not come, his men scattering, they're defecting, and now verse 11. Well, no, let me go back up to uh, verse 8 again. Saul waited seven days according to the set time Samuel had appointed, but Samuel had not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. Verse 9. So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering, and he offered the burnt offering which he was forbidden to do. He offered something that he was forbidden to do. Now, all of this right here, ladies and gentlemen, is revealing something about the condition and the state of the heart of the leader of Israel. God, ladies and gentlemen, will always, after he gives you and I a word, he will always put you and I in a situation to make a choice to stand on that word or to deviate from that word because of the pressure, because of the test of trial, because of the multitude, because your life is threatened. And that's what happened here. Watch this right here, ladies and gentlemen. This is how the word of God becomes flesh. So he says here in the word of the Lord that he offered the burnt offering which he was forbidden to do, verse 10. This sounds just like God. And just as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, 
Samuel came, Saul went out to meet and greet him. Verse 11, Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me. I saw what? That the people were scattering from me. I saw what? The people were scattering from me. Where was these people when God gave you this word? Saul, they was nowhere. Where were these people when God anointed you as king over Israel? God gave you specific instructions. That's what he does with all of us leaders to make us. You got to understand how God operates. And notice he made this move because the people begin to scatter from him. Ladies and gentlemen, did God cause the people to scatter from Saul? Absolutely. There's nothing that happens in your life, there's nothing that happens in my life that God himself does not orchestrate. You and I love to quote the scripture, my steps is ordered by the Lord when everything is smooth. But we, we don't want to believe that our steps is ordered by the Lord when people rise up against us. People begin to persecute us. People begin to lie on us. People begin to steal from us. We don't, we don't believe our steps is ordered by the Lord. You say, that's the devil. But yet, at the same time, you will say that God is bigger, God is greater. Jesus really did defeat and conquer Satan, but that's the devil. You, you, you confess that you was bought with a price. That means I am the owner, the property of God. God, do God not to take care of his own property? Is he big enough, bad enough, great enough to take care of his own property? Absolutely. Is Satan bigger than God? No. See, we'll confess that, believe that, when everything is smooth and fine. But God wouldn't order this. There's no way. God wouldn't order this because you don't know God. You don't know God. That's why you say that. God ordered this situation. If God ordered this, this massive army to come against Saul, if God ordered his men to scatter from him, because God is doing something. God is doing something. Or God wants to do something, put it that way. He wants to do something. So watch this right here, verse 11. So Saul, excuse me, excuse me Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and, the, and, uh, and that the Philistines were assembled at Mishmah. I thought, I thought, I thought the Philistines would come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Wait a minute. Did I tell you to go down to Gilgal? Was those the instruction to go down to Gilgal and offer up a burnt offer, which is forbidden for you to do? Did I tell you to do that? Was those the instruction? No. But what was the instruction? You told me to go down and wait for you. Well, why you didn't wait? Well, you didn't come at the appointed time. Am I here? Yes, you here. Is the day over? Well, the day is not over. Then what's the problem? See, God is exposing the heart of the king. He's exposing what? The heart of the king. He's showing the king you have rejected the word of the Lord. The word that was designed to become flesh. 
Watch this here. Are you getting something? So he says here, I thought the Philistine would come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have made a supplication to the Lord. So I forced myself. So I forced myself. I forced myself to offer a burnt offer. I forced myself to disobey God. I forced myself to do a word that was not sanctioned by God. My word can't sustain me, but God's word can sustain me. And this is a form of witchcraft, ladies and gentlemen, trying to force the presence of God, trying to force the hand of God by doing something that you was not sanctioned to do. That's what fear would do to us. And God is trying to show him what kind of king. You don't qualify to be the king. Because the king have to obey the word of the Lord. The leader have to obey the word of the Lord. God will cause the leader's people to flee. God will cause a man of God in his family, the head of his household. He will cause his wife not to stand. He will cause his children not to stand to see will he compromise. Or will he stand on the unadulterated, infallible word of the living God and decree and declare to his family, if all of you all leave, you got to leave. But I cannot disobey God. That's how the word becomes flesh, ladies and gentlemen. That's how the word becomes flesh. Now watch this right here. Are you getting this? Verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have done what? Foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Are you getting this? If you had obeyed the word, if you had just stood still, regardless of this great host, do you not understand, Saul? Do you not understand by you standing on that word that came from God? When the Philistine came against you, they would have been coming against the word. By coming against the word that was given to you, they're coming against God himself who released that word out of his mouth to you, Saul. Could the Philistine, this massive army, can they defeat the God that created all flesh? No. But that's our problem. We're afraid, and we because of fear. Fear is self-preservation. You take matters into your own hands to save yourself. And the word of God cannot become flesh because you're exercising and executing a word that did not come from God, but it had to come from you. And your word will never stand against the devil. Your word will never stand against demons. Your word will never stand against circumstances and situations when your word is contrary to the word of God. That's been spoken over your life. He says your kingdom would have, uh, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. What about a man of God? What about a husband? What about a father? If you have a stood, God would establish, establish your kingdom or your dominion over your family. What it says here, your kingdom over Israel forever. Other words, God will cause the McKenzie lineage 
to never die out if I can obey him and not be persuaded by my wife and my children to move off of the word of God. Even when they think I'm wrong, they don't believe this about me. Whose word are you going to believe? Oh, I know what you're going to say. I'm going to believe the word of the Lord. But can you believe the word of the Lord when a massive army coming against you and the people that you had faith in has scattered? You have no security. God did that. God removed your security blanket. That there was nobody left but God. That's how you become a man of God. That's how you become a woman of God. Are you getting this, ladies and gentlemen? He said, God will have established your kingdom forever if you had stood on the word. You would have became one with that word. That word would have became one with you. And now God had a man that stands, stood in agreement with the God in heaven. And the God in heaven would have rained down uh, uh, fire. He would have rained down hail. He would have killed every last one of those soldiers if you had stood. You didn't need your army. You didn't need your men that is hiding in caves and, and cisterns and, and went on, on the other side of uh, Jordan. The king need God. The king's faith need to be in God. The leader's faith need to be in God. The leader's heart need to be bent towards God, not his spouse, not his children, not his leadership, not his uh, employees. God. That's how you become one. With the word, the word become one with you, or the word become flesh. He says now, verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Now your kingdom shall not continue. I anointed you king, but it will not continue. But why won't it continue? You are the king. The people is to obey your word. How could I let you continue when you don't obey my word? For me to allow you to continue is saying that your word will be greater over the people than my word over you. So you disqualified yourself. When you moved off of my word, when you forfeited my word, and you did your own thing, you could never be a representative of me because the people always say you, but they will never see me solved. That's why the men and the women that stands on the unadulterated, infallible word of the living God, you stand because you got to understand your standing will bring a revelation of God to the people. When they see you, they will see Christ. That's why Christ said, when you see me, you see the Father. Have I been not been so long with you? I'm one with the Father. The Father is one with me. To see me is to see the Father. God put Saul in that situation to qualify him. To qualify him. But what happens, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think caused Saul to move? But let, me, let me read the verse 14, and, and I'm, I'm going to give you something. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out David, a man after his own heart. A man is after what? The heart of God. Now, watch this right here. He sought a man that is after his heart, which reveals that Saul was not after the heart of God. He was after his own heart. Because that's what fear does. 
fear protects its own self. It will never lay its life down for the benefit of the one that called, appointed, and anointed him. That ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. And he was afraid. So it reveals what he did reveal that he was not sold out to God. To be sold out to God. Said, I'm sold to God. No, you're not. If you move off the word, you can't follow the instructions, you're lying to yourself. You're tricking yourself. You're deceiving yourself. It don't work that way, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it says here. He found the man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince and ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. You don't choose what to obey. And that's the, that's the manipulation and the wickedness. You don't choose what to obey. Usually when people do that, they choose to obey what they know they can do. They choose to obey what they know they can control. It don't work that way with God. It don't work that way in his kingdom. No, he could not control this massive army. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything with this massive army. That's how God qualifies you and I. Put you in an alien situation. We can't do nothing. We can't handle it. We don't know what, we don't know what to do. All we have is a word. And that's all you need is a word. Oh, we love quoting quotes. One word from God would change your life. We love quoting that stuff, but don't believe in it. Yes, one word from God would change your life. One word from God would change my life. One word from God can change any circumstance or situation. One word from God can change a nation. One word from God. That's all it takes, ladies and gentlemen. Are you getting this? I gave a definition on Sunday of hardness of the heart, and that's on, that's the reality. The reality is Saul's heart was hardened. What caused his heart to be hardened? The circumstance and the situation. He feared. Notice the definition. Real quick here, we only have two more minutes. Hardness of the heart. The heart represents the total response of a person to... Uh, life around him. The total response of a person to life around him. Saul's response to this massive army revealed the condition and the state of his heart. It reveals the condition, revealed rather, the condition and the state of his heart. Ladies and gentlemen, I have time to get the rest of this. It's impossible to be have a hard heart and to submit. You cannot submit. You will not submit to your authorities, which all authority has been ordained by God. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. My prayer today that you have gotten something from the word of the Lord and you've been encouraged, and now you understand in a greater way exactly what the Lord has been doing in your life how he's been challenging you. And God has been putting you and I in situations that he will become God and we will become one with him and the word of God will become flesh with us that God will have access to every circumstance or situation and Jesus can be Lord of Lords and King of Kings because he found the man, he found the woman whose heart is perfect towards him, who would do everything in the heart of God, live for God. You can never live for yourself and live for God. 
You could never live for yourself and live for God. The only way that you and I can live for God is we cease to live for ourselves. The only way. David did not live for himself. He lived for the Lord. He fought the battles of the Lord. And everywhere, Saul was tested one more time, and both times he failed because he lived for himself. Father, we thank you for this great audience today. We thank you, we praise you for ministering your heart and your mind to this audience. We thank you, Lord God, for challenging our thinking. We thank you, Lord God, for how you prepared their hearts and their minds to be receptive to the word of the Lord. And we thank you how your word fell on good ground, how your word has produced some 36 and even 100-fold, Lord God. We thank you for the renewing of the spirit of the minds of this great radio audience, oh God. We thank you for taking them places and dimensions and realms that they have never experienced before because they have made a decision. They understand now, Lord God, what the problem has been. And I pray right now that the fire of God will consume the hardness of every heart. We pray right now that you remove the stones out of all of our hearts and give us hearts that is pliable, hearts that is sensitive to the moving the ways and the sways of the Holy Spirit, hearts that is obedient to the Spirit of the living God, hearts, O oh God, that's willing to deny itself, take up its cross, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord God, I pray right now. Even as um, uh, we are making the adjustments by the grace of God, our minds are being renewed by the grace of God. Lord God, now take what the enemy has meant for evil, shift it, and turn it around for good. As self has been dismantled from the throne of our heart, and Jesus has been erected and established on the throne of our hearts, ruling reign on the throne of our hearts, Lord Jesus, ruling reign in authority and power, ruling reign in salvation and deliverance, ruling reign in restoration and reconciliation. We give you permission, sir. We give you permission to be Lord on our hearts, to be master on our hearts, to be king on our hearts, to be sovereign on our hearts. We give you permission to have the preeminency on and over our heart, the supremacy over and on our heart, even now in Jesus' mighty name. We love you, sir. We praise, worship, and magnify and glorify you today, even now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for maturing us in the inner man as we made a decision to deny ourselves, made a decision to go all the way with you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the liberation, the emancipation, the vindication of our emotions and our affections. You will no longer dominate us, control us, and we will never, no longer make influence or make decisions by the influences of our emotions and our affections. We say not so. No more in Jesus' name. Your kingdom has come, sir. Let your divine and perfect will be done and performed. Now, Lord, as we prepare, uh, uh, depart from this, a broadcast, yet not from your presence. Go with this radio audience. Bless them in a great way, in a mighty way, Lord God. And those that's coming back later, oh God, to the archives, uh, we thank for preparing their hearts and their minds, oh God, um, to be receptive to what you have to say. And we thank you for challenging them. And we thank you, Lord God, for making their hearts glad because they're able to see clearly what the problem has been, why the delays, why the failures, because, oh God, their heart was hardened. And they valued themselves when they value you. And the word never became flesh. But the word, O oh God, was in their heart, uh, in their mind, but never in their hearts. Thank you, Lord God, for doing this thing for your people. And we thank you for the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, tell your family and friends about uh, the, um, the prayer uh, meeting in the morning. Tomorrow is the last day, the last day of our prayer. I always enjoy our last Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday prayer line. Uh, join us, if you will. 
and hear what the Lord has to say and pray with us and battle with us. Let's come together collectively to advance the kingdom of God. Let's break this thing open in the morning as the Lord God grace us um, to minister under the anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, so that the uh, kingdom of God can be advanced and Jesus will be exalted as Lord. We love you guys. Appreciate you. And we pray tonight that as you lie down and sleep, you will have a sweet sleep. Your dreams and visions induced by the Holy Spirit, the angels of the living God encamping around about you. This has been your host, Dr. E.J. McKenzie with the Master Key. Thank you.